Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, Managing Editor of Television for Variety, and today my guest in Beverly Hills is David Nevins, President and CEO of Showtime Networks. David is steering Showtime through a period of massive disruption for the premium TV business. In our wide-ranging conversation, he talks about the new economics of direct-to-consumer streaming and how it's changed the way Showtime operates. He talks about the expansion of Showtime's programming mandate and what it takes to compete for projects in the peak TV crush. He also offers insights into the origins of Sasha Baron Cohen's Who is America and his thoughts on the coming final season of Homeland. David Nevins? Thanks so much for making time for us. So glad to be here in this uh, glamorous hotel room. It's the life, you know, the C- the life of the CEO, the life of a media reporter. One hotel room after another. Get it done wherever it has to get done. It's good. Um, you know, it, it, for the last couple of years, all anybody in TV can talk about is how much TV there is. You've been at the helm of Showtime now certainly programming-wise now, for going on eight years, going on nine years. How Is it that long? 2010, right? I guess that's right. I was I was going to say seven going on eight, but I think you're right. Yeah. and, <laughs> and it's You been, have your details correct. I, 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 I forget the, my own history. Just I'll remind you when your kids' birthdays are coming okay, up. Okay, no fair problem. enough. Today is my son's birthday, actually. Happy birthday. There we go. Um, what, how has... We we know you know everybody's talking about the arms race and programming and costs mm-hmm. and but how has what are some of the ways that the job of programming a premium cable network has changed in ways that wouldn't be intuitive to us in terms of just the enormity of competition? Are there things that that you have to do differently now because there is so much competition? For- I see it as all opportunity. I feel like the range of the kinds of things that I can do has gotten much more interesting. When I came to Showtime, we made mostly uh, half-hour, little half-hour drama comedies. Uh, Californication and Nurse Jackie and Weeds. We had, I think, one or two-hour shows, Dexter being uh, the most prominent of them. And now I feel like I'm doing an animated show, and I'm doing documentaries and news shows, and I'm doing, you know, really fresh, up-to-the-minute things in uh, in the circus and really spontaneous, crazy uh, shows like Who is America, where, um, you know, it was a year and a half in the making, but the editing and the tinkering is going on the last second. So I do feel like the range of the kinds of things I get to make has dramatically expanded. Um, but I think you're asking a question about, you know, filling a programming mandate in the age of, uh, in the age of streaming, in the age of a lot of people trying to make premium television. Um, I think you got to go, the extra mile to try to find originality um, with so much stuff happening it's uh, there's a lot of people repeating themselves and a lot of people doing uh, playing in a similar sandbox so you got you got to go 
further and harder for originality. You know, the good news is that the range of people who want to do television uh, is greater than ever before. I mean, I'm sitting there um, on a daily basis now. It's people who've been the dominant players in the movie business from uh, Jim Carrey to Russell Crowe to uh, Jason Blum or Scott Rudin to um, Seth Rogen or Ben Stiller. Um, uh, it's it's a group of people who uh, probably wouldn't have been accessible uh, for Showtime six years ago. Um, and they're all interested in doing great creative work for us. Um, but you, you got to dig a little harder you, um, and be a little bit more adventurous um, than, than the old days. But that's, that's, that's the good news. Would you say from the time that you, certainly from the time that you started at Showtime to now, would you say, you know, adjusting for inflation, that the CBS Corporation is spending appreciably more on content? Definitely. To feed, I mean. Absolutely. We are spending more. We're spending more on a per episode basis. Uh, the, The level of production value that's expected from us has gone up, and we're also spending more because we're putting out more hours of original content than than we did before, but our revenue has gone up pretty dramatically in order to justify it. It's hard it's hard to spend more on programming if your revenue isn't moving in the right direction. But our revenue is moving in the right direction, uh, so it pays for itself. But no question about it, and uh, we're we're always pushing for more and trying to. You know, we got to keep pushing for more. We got to get rewarded for it with new subscribers. And in a streaming universe, um, every time you put something new that people are interested in, it drives signups. You can also put new things on that don't drive signups. Um, you know, in which case you're not investing your money as well as you can. But as long as you're putting things out there that uh, has a defined audience that somebody is willing to pay money for, you can justify it. It's, I'd be interested to see the the, the link between y- you announcing that something is coming and signups. So people I don't, pe- people read in the press that you're doing a Roger Ailes miniseries with Russell Crowe and maybe Nicole Kidman, and that that gets people's interest. Like you you can I you don't can track know. it that closely. I don't believe that. I think in the in the the age of the of internet, um, it has to be instantaneous. So. I don't think that a press announcement, a press announcement may create a, a, a glow, may create some brand awareness, some brand halo. I don't think a press announcement drives signups. And I don't think there's much evidence that it does. We did the TCA yesterday. We were trending on Twitter. Showtime was trending. Shut Up and Dribble was tw- trending. Uh... Homeland was trending. David Nevins was trending. I don't think that drove signups. Uh, it's not going to drive the signups that Sunday's episode of Who Is America or Sunday's episode of The Affair will drive. And you know, I, I see it every day. So there's a, a buildup of, of of signups over the course of the week. It peaks on Sunday, goes down a little bit on Monday, and then keeps going down through the week, and then starts building up again as we head towards the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
peaking again. Um, and uh, you got to be instantaneous. So w- when it has to be available, um, I think, in order to move an audience. And for you as a programmer, that must be a joy that that now you can, it is so easy to sign up. I mean, it, you know, in years past, it was you had to call the cable company and stay on hold right. for two hours and wait for two weeks. And now people can literally push a button. Yeah, well, the thing that I always used to say, because uh, my background, uh, I was a network executive, a broadcast network executive early in my career, and then I was a producer. And when I first came to Showtime, it was the f- only form of television, premium television, subscription television, was the only form where there was no direct correlation between programming and revenue. Uh, if you sit at CBS or TNT or FX, you can say, I'm going to put this show on the air. It's going to get a 1.6 in the 18 to 49 demo and and that's going to be worth X amount of revenue. Uh, With us, it was always so uh, indirect. In fact, you could always make the argument that less programming costs less money and you're not going to show any obvious loss of subscribers. Um, It's gotten much more direct than that. So now you can actually attribute revenue to shows. And it's... um, So you can immediately see the effect of a show and a show that is growing. So a show like Who is America, uh, which is growing, grew in ratings weeks one, two, three, and four, and uh, most importantly, grows in um, the week two had, you know, week one was a very good sub- um, sign up week. Week two was bigger than week one. That, that never happened. So that's clearly evidence of a show that is getting a ton of word of mouth and getting, and, and, causing people to buy so all of those people complaining that they were duped into being who is america the sasha barone cohen show all those people complaining that they were duped that was like marketing yeah i mean uh had a lot of powerful important people carrying the water for us so that's always a good thing let me just ask you how there was some commentary about that show that barone sasha Sasha barone cohen's baron excuse me sasha Sasha Baron Cohen's uh-huh. um, approach didn't play as well in 2018 as it did a decade ago when he was when he was on the the Ali G show. Uh-huh. Did you feel that when you watched it? Do you do you accept that criticism? That it, um, felt, it felt a little out of step with the, with our times right now. I don't. I mean, I think people there's it's a rough and tumble world and there's certain people want, you know, there's a certain sensitivity, but, uh, he is a provocateur and a brilliant artist. And I think it's really important to create space for provocateurs to, to provoke and, and, uh, satirists to satire. And, um, I, I think he, is a fair editor uh what what he puts on the air he doesn't you know he's an improv comedian he he uh um the whole essence of improv is go where people will lead you and he lets people lead him uh down some pretty crazy paths and i think he's a truth teller and uh so uh i think it's important in our culture to allow comedians the space to provoke, do satire, and I don't think there's anybody better than Sasha. 
interpreting our times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, I, yeah I mean, I, I, I don't, I think he's, he's, he is a truth teller, and I think he's fair in, fair in how he puts his episodes together. No one's ever accused him of editing unfairly, uh, taking things out of context. Um, so he follows where people, where people lead. Um, you mentioned that, the, that Who is America was an 18-month development process. That's, that's interesting. One thing I'm hearing from people is because there is such a chase right now for creative talent and programming that development can be very accelerated sometimes to the detriment of the final product. But that sounds like a very – this sounds like the opposite. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're going to be led by your creators, and we try very hard to be led by, by our creators and give them the space and room and time that they need um, – Sometimes it can go fast, and sometimes they like to go fast, and sometimes it takes longer. And, uh, you know, uh, this was a show that had to be invented. The characters had to be invented. The, the, the concepts had to be invented. The, the, the look and the feel and the prosthetics had to be invented. So it took, it took some time. And then it took, takes... You've got to you got to do a lot of different pieces to come, o- to come up with... Uh, stuff that is good enough to meet Sasha's barrier for, you know, his, his bar for what works on television. Um, so did he did he pitch this to you in a nascent form, or did he bring you some material already shot that whetted your appetite? It was a nascent form. Nothing was shot. We, you know, we began to talk about the possibility of, you know, doing the undercover show that he hadn't done for a very long time, and I chased him really hard. So he he was kind of he was sh- he was shopped by representatives, or it was a connection that you made directly with him. Representatives were involved. <laughs> uh, speaking of representatives, that's another interesting area of the business right now. We are seeing, you know, both CAA to to a greater degree, Endeavor, the parent company of mm-hmm. WME, are they are both, and now UTA is even starting to get into the into the business of production, tiptoeing still, mm-hmm. but in, but Endeavor in particular is really building a roster. Does that concern you to see another? Yes, they could be another supplier, but they're 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 coming in with an agenda to help talent own their control their destiny at a time when you want to take Showtime around the world. Right, and it's a lot easier for well, you. Look, if you I, have, own I, your have, I have a number of different feelings. Like I'm I'm supportive of anybody who wants to put more capital into the production of uh, of great television and. Uh, I think there are certain inherent conflicts of interest that are that are dicey. It's not my issue. It's the issue of the talent. So I think there's it's a little dicey territory. But um, I'm I have I have a real open door policy, and I believe you know um, somebody brings me a show that I feel like is going to be great for Showtime. Uh, I want to I want to facilitate that show getting on the air. Uh, I have business priorities. It's really important to us to own the distribution of our of our shows, and I don't make any any bones about that. But um, because of the way the success that we've been having, the desirability of our programming, uh, nine times out of ten, we can offer better distribution terms than anybody else, um, and we've had such dramatic increase in. Um, 
and the desirability of our programming and the ability to be packaged together that more often than not people want even big studios want to take advantage of our our distribution deals so we're kind of working it out in in good ways that I'm happy um, I think uh, you know if you're in the talent representation business um, you got to be clear about who you're working for um, but I'm able to see the grays in it and the opportunities in it and the opportunities for, for Showtime to be supplied by um, some of the, you know, agency-backed companies. As long as they're willing to put capital in and, and uh, we can work with them. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, obviously, you know, they're going to get behind people with very big visions and people that are going to come to the table with, with, you know, with likely with very provocative and very kind of sizzling mm-hmm. ideas. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so we do business with all comers, you know, uh, I don't think in this, in this age you can afford to, uh, uh, close off any avenues. Are you concerned at all that avenues might be closing off to you though? We're seeing, you know, Disney and Fox are, are soon to be one, and they are talking very seriously about, you know, launching a truly vertical, integrated streaming platform that would that would be the exclusive place of all Disney content. And I know you don't do a ton of business with Disney, yeah. but one of your one of your breakout shows this past year, Smilf, yeah. came from ABC Studios. Does it concern you that there might be some constriction? Well, I mean, I think. They're clearly launching a streaming service that will be somewhat competitive uh, to us, so it means another another competitive on, competitor on the block. Um, but that's not new. There's new entrant, entrants every day, and our brand is strong. Our relationship with our customers are strong. Our relationship with our distributors, our various distributors, whether it's Amazon or Comcast or uh, DirecTV or, and AT&T, which now owns my competitor. So the, the, the environment has gotten more complicated. A, Disney, as I finish that sentence, uh, Disney and AT&T now own HBO, my, uh, our big competitor. Um, AT&T and DirecTV pay us a lot of money every year, but they want to keep selling us. So uh, you just, it just makes for strange be- bedfellows. And ultimately... Uh, talent wants to go where talent wants to go and they tend to have uh, a fair amount of say in it and if I create a uh, a successful platform that launches successful shows and create a great creative environment talent will keep wanting to come to Showtime and I would bet that even in the era of Disney creating whatever new streaming service they're going to create there's still going to be talent at that studio that wants to come to Showtime that will have to be allowed to come to Showtime under acceptable deal terms in order for them to be in business with the talent that they want to be in business with. So I think there's uh, a pretty healthy ecosystem that is self-policing. That's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've seen this before. We've seen the pendulum swing, yeah. too. We want to own everything, too. Well, maybe we want to play the field. So right. it's, a, it's, it's an I interesting mean, moment. I want to own everything. It's, it's the, the economics are better, and it's better for us to own everything. But uh, I wouldn't not want Shameless. And um, there, are, there are shows with major studios 
where I can, where we really do all the distribution, but we share the ownership and we share the upside. That those deals are fine, um, but uh, you know we have a you you know there's just it's 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 gotten complicated. But our ability to be somewhat agnostic, to be um, agnostic to the um, whoever's supplying it to us to be not tied with a major distri- distribution company. We're not tied, you know, we're not tied to Comcast. We're not tied to DirecTV. It gives us, there's things that we can do that is harder for some of our competitors to do because we are actually an independent um, company. You know, our, our company is CBS and Showtime, which is small in the world that we live in, but it also gives us f- flexibility, deal flexibility, that some of my competitors don't have. We're not like Netflix where, you know, you're, we'll pay you a little bit of premium. You have no upside. Your, uh, your international distribution can take a nap. Your domestic syndication people, they can take a nap. Um, uh, we're still attractive place for independence or the semi independence to do business. Um, because, um, because we can we can generate hits that have ancillary value. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you, certainly you've proven you've proven that. Um, do you in in a world where everything so much is is on demand and there's so much viewing t- tends to be done in a binge format? Do you still think about programming flow? Do you still program? I do to a certain extent. I mean, it, I mean, I'm using Shameless to launch kidding to help kidding get off the ground the and new I, jim carrey the new jim project. carrey show kidding uh from jim carrey and michelle gondry and that's that's coming up in september and uh kidding's gonna have a better shot for having shameless in front of it it's far from the be all and the end all i could easily launch kidding without shameless but i think there's a compatibility between those two shows uh shameless was helpful in launching um smilf and uh, so it's, to use a double negative, it doesn't not matter, but it's way less important than it used to be. And more important is the continual introduction of new shows on a regular basis. So there's new things to cause sign-up behavior. So people who are subscribing to us feel like they're always getting something new and interesting. Right, because the, the flip side of making it much easier to sign up it's much easier to right. to cancel. Right, easy on, easy off, yeah. and so you better continue to deliver. And our the fact that we have four of the six top scripted shows, uh, and they don't all air at the same time of year. They they lay out over the year. We're talking about Shameless and Billions and The Shy um, and uh, and Homeland, um, which is not to mention. Ray Donovan or Who is America or Kidding or Smilf. Um, these, we have more shows that matter than the other premium competitors. And uh, uh, the ability to lay them out across the year uh, means we have less of a churn issue than some of our competitors. Um, on the, in the area of of like the documentary programming, mm-hmm. the sports, the you're going into you're having a, a topical late night show coming up with yeah. Jesus and Marrow. Yeah. Um, would you? Those aren't 
the kind of shows that have you know a big back end for somebody down the road, but those are more exp- important to you yeah. in terms of expanding the breadth of what you offer to make it to make Showtime really sticky for yeah. those subscribers. Um, we're able to get a lot. Of, I mean, I, I look at different things differently. So, news and documentary shows like The Circus or uh, The Fourth Estate about the New York Times, or which was great, by the way, um, which is Emmy nominated and is a, is an incredible show. And made, you know, it really sort of looked at the first year of the Trump administration from the point of view of the New York Times, and it gets watched. It's getting watched. It got watched a lot last night. Um, because people are catching up to it, it has uh, a long lifespan, and it's an incredible, uh, it's an incredible document. And so, um, uh, those things I think enrich the experience, and they create a lot of news off the entertainment pages. Uh, you know, um, shut up and dribble, which we announced yesterday. Um, you know, on the heels of this tr- Twitter attack from the White House towards LeBron James over the weekend. Here's something we've been working on for a year, smartly titled Shut Up and Dribble, based on the Laura Ingraham, you know, Laura Ingraham's um, warning at professional athletes. We just want to, we want to see you play ball. We don't want to hear what you have to think. Um, just you're, when you're able to have things that feel like they're in the zeitgeist, they have enormous impact on your brand. So uh, that's the value of, of documentary filmmaking. Um, the the trade also Emmy nominated this year. Uh, Matthew Heineman, who won last year's Oscar, sort of digging really deep into the drug epidemic in America. Really powerful piece of filmmaking. Gets got watched a lot. I mean, he's really showing uh, the the opioid drug the drug crisis from point of view of people living in Ohio and people south of the Mexican border growing and shipping, and you're really inside on both sides. Um, boxing um, is a resurgent American sport that is starting to, take, um, it's starting to take market share back from MMA. It's young, uh, obviously male, but it, is, it, is, it has young, good demographics. People perceive boxing to be an older person's sport. But, you know, great young African-American, Latino uh, demos. And uh, with that goes a lot of young white kids, too, watching boxing. And uh, it is, um, it's become a real part of who we are. And um, we have certain people exiting, you know, some of our competition slowly exiting the business and uh, we become the dominant home and there's there's great value and you know I don't think we're going to be competing for uh, NBA or NFL rights anytime soon but to be able to be the most important home for uh, a major sport has has real ongoing value and uh, um, you know some of our biggest single night signups are boxing events so uh you know we're 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 bullish about that and so you know we're offering we're trying to be number 1 or number 2 in in everything that we're doing um but we're slowly expanding the range of what we're doing Jesus and Mero I think uh for people under 35 is a home run and I think they have unlimited potential to get uh um 
to really to really get big. Those guys are next league talent. They're not, um, and I think they're really original. You know, so much of late night comedy kind of comes out of um, either the Tonight Show or the Daily Show. And uh, Jesus and Mero come from a different place, and I think they will the feel place called the Bronx. <laughs> place called the Bronx, um, and uh, and they they just have their own voice, and I think they're going to be uh, they're going to be a long time force. And it, it is interesting that all these things that we're talking about. You never heard, you never, rarely heard Showtime or HBO in the context of something that was happening in the headlines, right? You know, a few. And I think now a, we're in the headlines a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Sasha Baron Cohen makes headlines. Uh, um, Shut up and dribble yesterday makes headlines. Of course, it's a headline when a long-running, uh, celebrated show like Homeland um, announces it's going into its final season. Um, but the ability for Sasha Baron Cohen to make front page of the New York Times um, before it's even launched because major politicians are. Um, you know, coming out talking about their experience with the show, um, it's um, it's good to make noise and it's good to make waves. And I think that we've had a pretty consistent ability to anticipate the zeitgeist and sort of be in the right place at the right time. I mean, certainly, shut up and dribble is a case of being in the right place at the right time. So you have the show about uh, the changing politics of being an African American athlete. Uh, centered on LeBron James, and you're ready to announce it on the Monday after um, that was the dominant Twitter story of the weekend, Trump versus LeBron. You couldn't buy that. No, you couldn't you buy that. So there's a certain amount of luck involved in that, mm-hmm. but it's also because we're, uh, we're fishing in the right waters, and you know, Vinnie Malholtra, who's buying, you know, and making, making the decisions on our documentaries. Head of documentaries. Head of documentaries, making those decisions is fishing in the right waters and he's not um you know he's you know we're doing stuff about the new york times about uh the fbi versus the presidency because we kind of saw about a year ago that this was going to be an important story and got alex gibney to do it and it's a historical documentary but that's a fraught relationship over time um uh you know and you have to have people inside the organization who are who have their finger on the pulse um, and care about that and make that a brand priority in order to have those lucky moments. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you, of course, about Homeland. That's got to be very, for you personally, that was literally the first show you greenlit when you came to Showtime. And, you know, I don't have to tell you how rare it is that something like that and eight years, eight seasons, now going on nine seasons later, it's, you know, it's going to have a very triumphant exit, no doubt. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I, you know, Homeland has been a very special show. I think it's done an amazing, amazing job of reinventing itself over time. I mean, it really began as the Carrie and Brody story. Um, And there was huge question, would it, what would it be after Brody? Um, and I always knew, and Alex Gonza always knew, that there was a core, there was a great character in Carrie Matheson, and there was a core franchise in what is the place of 
America in the world in the 21st century, this complicated place. And that was always the subject of the show through the spy franchise. And I think he did an incredible job of reinventing it post that initial kind of push-pull kind of romance um, story. Mm -hmm. And then he reinvented it year after year and through very careful research, you know, being a great storyteller and, and really good lines of uh, information that's coming to him from the State Department, CIA, and all the people he talks to He's in Washington. He's got good sources. He's got good sources. He's, made, he's reinvented a show really well year after year. And uh, when they first started talking about Alex saying, I think I might be done, I think I'm ready to be done, you know, this is the third year of a three-year deal. I tried to have a little bit of a cooling off period to make sure that he was ready to be done. Um, and he was when he was steadfast about it, it felt like this is the right time. He's, I think he's going to have a great ending. Uh, I think, um, you know, Claire Danes and Mandy Patinkin have just had uh, done incredible work. I think they've loved their experience. It's, it's been a very happy experience for everybody involved. I, you know, I also have to hand it to Howard Gordon, Leslie Linka Glatter. They've all been there the whole way. Um, and, um, and Rick Rosen actually, uh, Endeavor agent who kind of represents everybody, uh, everybody involved. And, and, and while we're naming names, give it to Bert Salke, uh, Fox 21, uh, Gary Levine and Randy Runkle. Uh, at Showtime, and it has been a very happy experience for all, everyone involved, and every one of those people has been there from the beginning, um, and I think it is will go out a real winner. As a programmer, does it give you a little unease, though, because it has been such a cornerstone of your schedule? I believe in, you know, I believe last as long as your natural-born life, and then uh, and then move on. I believe in the renewal of television. Uh, we have strong shows at every stage of their lifestyle. We've got a brand new show in uh, The Shy, which is showing real signs of, of being a hit. We've got Billions, which just finished season three, stronger than ever. Um, we've, and and you know, was robbed. Was robbed of Emmy nominations. This yeah, I don't it has, understand. It's just not, it's, it, for whatever reason, Billions is not nailed that particular popularity contest. And I think it has something to do with uh, um, the glossiness of it, the perceived broiness of it. I, I, I'm not sure, but it is as... Uh, I mean, I read a lot of scripts, and as, as you know, it is as well-written and well-acted as any of the shows that are, that are nominated. So, you know. But anyway... Um, I feel great about where we stand. We have, we have shows at every, every step. We have not had too many fallow years where there's been nothing stick. We just add a new show and add a new show and slightly picking up the pace of adding the new shows. So I think um, we're incredibly well positioned for the future. Um, these last couple of years have been, uh, have been great with um, The Shy and Smilf and Billions and I think Kidding is going to matter and uh and you know two new shows i'm really excited about in black monday with don Cheadle and uh regina hall and andrew rannells and uh then you're going to see city on a hill with 
Kevin Bacon and Aldous Hodge. And I think these are all sort of going to be positive, have positive impact on our, on our service. Have you talked at all, even in the broad strokes, with Alex Gonza about the vision? I'm not, I don't expect you to give it the, to me, the but vision the vision of what the end? for the end for Homeland. Has no, it been a I actually haven't. I mean, I, I've had... I know what he was thinking a year or two years ago, because I had this conversation with him, you know, along the way in previous seasons. But in this period between... Uh, last season and this season when we were having the cooling off period are you sure you're you're ready to end it um i have i have not pushed him on that conversation and i think now he's getting ready to go to dc for his you know with the, with the writing staff and actually some of the actors i think claire is hoping to be part of it but she's also um expecting about very to soon have a baby, about yeah. to have a baby um and I know better than to ask him too many questions before he goes to D.C., so I, he'll tell me in his right time. So I, I, knew where, I knew where his head was a year ago, but I'm not sure where his head is today, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It, it, another interesting thing about Homeland is for all those people, all those heavy hitters, Alex, Leslie Linka-Glotter, to have stayed with it. Yeah. That's amazing. It you know, used to be two, three seasons, and you know, a showrunner would want to go on to something else. Right. And uh, it can work either way. I mean, I'm, I'm not averse in some situations to, you've told the stories, you know, one writer has told the stories in their brain against a certain concept, and then let's get somebody else's brain in there. So I'm not against it. Um, but it is a beautiful thing when you have somebody really stay with a work of art over time, uh, make it really personal in the way that, you know, Let's be honest. Fundamentally, it's the mind meld between Alex and Claire. It's what, at its core, uh, and, and Leslie has been a beautiful, beautiful realizer of that. Uh, but, you know, television at its deepest core is about the back and forth between writer and actor. And uh, uh, I really admire the creative relationship that developed between Alex and Claire. And I think it's a real tribute to both of them as generous, um, generous artists. They kind of like were very careful to manage that relationship. And uh, um, Claire takes care of Alex and Alex takes care of Claire. And it's a beautiful thing. And then you have, you know, Mandy and, and Leslie uh, bringing their top spin. It's, it's, it's kind of very exciting to watch. Could we see continuing adventures of Saul Berenson? Is there any kind of franchising or spinoff even remotely possible? It's always possible. I, I I think it's important that the show come to an end, come to a great end before any of that stuff is really, you know, we're not a broadcast network. We're not obliged to do something like that. Um, I would always listen to it, uh, you know, any ideas that, the uh, the core creators wanted to talk about, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Or could it be the kind of thing that would rest for a couple of years, and yeah. then maybe they might have yeah. a inspiration? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do believe that, um, as I say, the, the 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 core idea, the franchise, which is yes, it's a spy franchise, but at its core, what is America's place in a complicated twenty first century world? I 
that will not be an obsolete idea, you know, until we get to the 22nd century. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that that construct is kind of, you you can adapt it to your own challenge right now. What is Showtime's place in an expanding programming universe? Mm -hmm. My question for you, you became CEO just about two and a half years ago. Right. Um, what and you came up as a programming executive mm-hmm. at NBC in the in the real you know glory days mm-hmm. of must see TV Fox. You worked as a producer when you became the top executive at Showtime. What did you find? You know, obviously you brought an incredible programming resume. What did you find personally hard or challenging, or what was the learning curve for you like to become a CEO? I find myself as motivated by the business side as I do by the creative side at this point in my career. And becoming CEO two and a half years ago coincided with a radical change in how we make our money. Uh, um, I came in about six months before we launched OTT. And, uh, um, And so I was sort of there in the planning and this radically transformed our our organization how we market who the people that we have in our marketing department are we have um a core group of engineers we never had engineers at at showtime with exception of the people who put put the signal up on the satellite but um uh so all that is is really different so i was kind of there for the um you know, able to shape the transformation of an organization, transformation of a of a of a culture, and I find that incredibly motivating and fulfilling. And uh, so, um, yeah, in one sense, I was stepping onto a moving train, but um, I was stepping onto a train that was moving in a significantly different direction, and uh, and really able to shape that 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 new direction. And so, I, I find that you know incredibly rewarding great well congratulations on your success to date thank you so much for your time thank you all right thanks for listening be sure to join us next week for another episode of strictly business